Your scripture reading today is from Genesis 22, which is on page 19 in the Black Bibles that are provided for you. We're taking just a small break from our, our series in Luke today. Would you stand with me, if you're able, for the reading of God's Word? After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, And took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here am I, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mountain of the Lord, it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed." Because you have obeyed my voice. 
So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. The grass withers and the flowers fade, and yet the word of the Lord remains forever. You may be seated. So if you are... If you are relatively new to Hope of Christ, uh, this is the anniversary weekend, if you would call it that, of the death of our daughter, Ilona, who died last September in a car accident. And so that's what the, the musicians were referring to. There was a concert, uh, a memorial concert for her last on Friday, and also sort of a benefit concert for the Alona Foundation that we have begun in her name to come alongside those who are grieving uh, losses and deaths in their own lives to provide support and comfort and help for them. And I, I was trying to think of what would I preach on one year after Ilona's death. And, and I thought I would preach on this passage because a couple of weeks ago, as Amy and I were walking and unpacking sort of what the year has held for us as we got close to home, she asked me the question, did God kill our daughter so that we would love him more. And I suppose to even begin to answer the question, I would have to first ask, do we? Do we love him more at the end of this year than we did at the beginning of this year? I think we know him better than we did before, but that's not the same as loving someone more. I'm I'm more afraid of him than I ever was before. He's more he's more other than I ever considered. Um, And I, who as your pastor have delighted in for 15 years reminding you over and over, God is for you. God is for you. Have spent the last year wondering, is God for me? And this passage just, I mean, I, I, I feel like I need to spoil it for you because this passage screams, God is for you. God is for you. God is for you. 
I mean, what was Abraham's call? To understand Abraham's call, we have to go all the way back to Genesis 12. We can't just jump in here. This is a bizarre passage to just jump into and be like, oh, this will be a happy one. What was going on in Abraham's life? Back in Genesis 12, his name is Abram. His name isn't even Abraham yet. And in Genesis 12, God called Abram. And he gave him a threefold call. He said, go. Go from country, from kindred, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. Go from your country, from all that is familiar to you, all of the the comfortable cultural things that, that you've grown accustomed to. Go, go from your kindred, your people, the folks who know you and whom you know, folks who have poured into you and you've poured into them. Go from your father's house, that place of comfort and rest. Go to a land that I will show you. And this call comes with a blessing also threefold. He says, and I will make you into a great nation. Abram, who was about 70 or 75 years old at this point, and still childless, God promises, I will make you into a great nation. He says, in fact, I will bless you, and I will make you a blessing. All of the nations will be blessed through you. And so over the years, this promise from God is reiterated and and repeated and sometimes in very memorable and dramatic ways. Later in chapter 12, Abram is, he has left Ur, his country, which is around where where Babylon is. So you might say that Abraham comes out of Babylon And he goes and travels through Canaan, and the Lord appears to him and promises him that this land is going to be a part of that blessing. I'm going to bless you with this land, this land that he is just a stranger in. And so Abram built an altar there, we're told, and and this would be his pattern. He would hear from God and be reminded of God's promises, and he would worship him. He would build an altar to God in worship. The next time God speaks to Abram is in chapter 13. Abram had a nephew named Lot, and their their clan had gotten so big that they had to divide and choose different areas of of the land to live in. And Lot chose the choicest of the land, the very fertilest, uh, fertilest, is that a word? The most fertile of the land. And, And so Abram, but God takes Abram up onto a mountain. He says, look, look around, north, south, west, east. I will give all of this to you. God promised to Abram and to his offspring. And then he even promises more. He says, look at the land. Look at the dust. Your offspring will outnumber the dust of the earth. His offspring that to this point still numbers zero. And so sometime later, now in Genesis 15, Abram has, a, he has rescued his nephew Lot from an invading, the invading kings from the north. Abram lay awake one night wondering, what, what is this promise from God? While he still remains childless. And so God, in beautifully dramatic style, takes Abram out of his tent, 
tells him not to look down at the dust of the earth, but look up at the stars, the stars in the sky. So great will your offspring be. They will outnumber the stars in the sky. I love, uh, I love the Rich Mullins song that says that Abraham looked at the stars and, and one of those stars was named for me. What a great reminder. And Abram is humbled into silence of God's reiterating his promise to him again. But the scriptures aren't silent. The scriptures say that Abram believed God and it was counted as righteousness. He believed God. God said something that seemed far-fetched and he trusted him. And just in trusting him, God counted it as though it was perfect, perfect righteousness itself. That evening, God gives Abram a tangible picture of how committed to this promise he is. He has Abram take sacrifices and cut them in half, and he makes this, this bizarre uh, carcass pathway because this is going to be a, a ritual for a renewing or establishing a covenant, a, a an agreement between two parties, and usually the weaker party would walk down the path and say, I promise to keep all of my commitments to you, and if I don't, you can cut me in half like these animals are cut in half. But Abram isn't asked to walk down the path. Abram is told to take a nap. And God himself, in a smoking pot, walks down the path, glides down the path, Essentially saying to Abram, if my promises aren't kept, may I be torn asunder. May I die if my promises to you are not kept. Then years pass, chapter 17, Abram is 99 years old. He still has no children from his wife Sarai, though he has a son from Sarai's maid. And the Lord comes again to Abram, reminding him of God's faithful plan to multiply Abram's offspring. This time, God reminds him of his requirements. You are my child. Walk before me blamelessly. Walk before me and be blameless. What kind of call is this? Abram, it's not in him to do this. He would have to be a completely different person if he's going to walk before God blamelessly. He'll have to be someone who he isn't. He would have to be washed and cleansed. And God says, yes. And so God names him. He changes who he is. He says, I call you Abraham. And it's this picture of, if God, if you're going to call me to blamelessness, you'd better change me. And he gives another gift. He says, and here's a sign of circumcision. Because you're going to need to be cleansed. You're going to be made, need to be made clean, made a completely different person. And so he renames Abraham. He renames Sarai, and she becomes Sarah. He even announces the name of their not-even-yet-conceived son, Isaac. Laughter. Joy. And later, Sarah would laugh at the ridiculousness 
of this promise. And as they say, God would have the last laugh. And during all those long years of God's promised faithfulness, Abraham's faith was growing, just like our faith grows, not in perfect straight trajectories, but through mountains of trusting and valleys of disbelief. Twice Abraham lied to rulers about his relationship with his own wife. There was the entire affair with Hagar, the maid of Sarah, and the 16 years of domestic misery that that ended up producing in their household. But with the birth of Isaac, laughter is born in their home. And now they've even formed a treaty with one of the clans in Canaan. And and so they have a safe place. They have land. They have the seed. The promise is coming to fruition. Offspring, land, blessing. Abraham is feeling the blessing. What was Abraham's call? All along, it was the same call. Trust me. Trust me. Abraham believed God, and that was counted as righteousness. It wasn't his journey of obedience toward the promised land. It wasn't... It was his trusting God. He trusted God. That was the call. That was always the call. Trust me. Believe me. We make it sound like it's something super spiritual because we always say, have faith. But that's, isn't that all faith is, is trust. That's what faith in God is. Trust me. Trust me. I'm God. You're not. Trust me. And so, how essential is the first verse in this passage, at least for us as readers? This is a test. Because without this, these first words, we're left wondering what kind of cruel God would ask for the sacrifice of a child to appease him. That's what the pagan societies did. This is recorded at the same time that God's people are gathered around Mount Sinai. They would have heard this and also at the same time heard the laws against this very thing, the sacrificing of your child. But they hear those first words, this was a test, and so they already know God's going to do something. But Abraham didn't know that, did he? It's again, it's the only time, it's the only other time in Genesis the word go is used besides Genesis 12 when God says go to a land that I will show you. 
Now God says, go to a mountain that I will show you. Take your son. Here's that threefold call again. Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Does God not understand what he's calling him to do? The whole passage repeats 13 times, son, your son, my son, his son, Isaac, Isaac, his son. It's the first place in the Old Testament the word love occurs. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, and go. It's more than just his son, though, isn't it? This is the child of the promise. This is the seed. When God called Abraham out of Ur, he promised to make Abraham into a great nation. And after 10 years of sort of waiting, they tried to force God's hand and Ishmael is born. But that is not the one through whom the promise will come. God has other plans. Fifteen years later, finally, Isaac is born to Abraham. A hundred-year-old Abraham, 90-year-old Sarah. Laughter enters their home after years of silence and groaning and weeping. But it's not just their laughter, it's God's laughter, because this is the son of the promise. Through Isaac, Abraham would become the great nation that God had promised. Without Isaac, that will not come true. Through Isaac... Abraham would become a blessing for all of the families on earth. Without Isaac, that cannot happen. Isaac is the physical embodiment of all of God's promises. Isaac, in a very real sense, is the incarnation of all of Abraham's hopes and dreams. And now Abraham is being called to turn his laughter literally into ashes. In chapter 12, Abraham was called to go and burn all of his bridges to his past. And in chapter 22, Abraham is called to go and in a sense burn all of his bridges to his future. He must trust God. John Calvin put it this way, in the person of this son, the whole salvation of the world seemed to be extinguished and to perish. We we get the rest of the story, and it helps us understand what was the test. The test was not a test of, uh, do you love your child too much? The test was a test, the same as the call. Do you trust me? Can you trust me even with this?
We don't want to miss or diminish the faith, the trust of Abraham. Especially since the Old Testament doesn't, or the New Testament doesn't miss it. You know, it's not that Abraham tells a little white lie to his servants. It is amusing that he definitely was being faithful, but he was also being human. Probably didn't think through what bringing two servants on this task would be like. And then finally had to say, hey, why don't you guys stay here? Uh, You will not be the help I thought you might have been when we get to where we need to be. But he says to them, stay here with the donkey. We will go and worship, and we will return. The New Testament doesn't say it was a little white lie to help. The New Testament, the writer of Hebrews says he could only say that by faith. He could only say that by trusting God. He did not know how. He did not know what this was leading to. But he knew that God had made promises to him and that God was trustworthy and could be trusted even in this. But that doesn't change the difficulty, does it? And how awful when we read that Isaac then carries the wood for his own sacrifice up the mountain. Isaac is carrying the very medium, if you will, of his death. And then the conversation between Isaac and his father that would have broken Abraham's heart to even have. The conversation that twice Abraham refers to him as my son, but it begins with my father, and the whole conversation ends with my son. My father, here am I, my son. I see the wood, I see the fire. Where's the lamb? God himself will provide the lamb for the offering, my son. Again, is this, is this a white lie, another lie, or is this Abraham trusting God is going to do something, even if he doesn't know how? Abraham refers Isaac to God, who alone can answer his questions. He doesn't deceive him, but he simply opens him up to the possibility that God can provide. We reach the place that God has told them to go in verse 9, and if it's been a difficult narrative up until now, it it screeches to super slow motion. We got from Beersheba to the mount in three days. And that was half of a verse. And now Abraham built the altar there and lay the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. 
Abraham. Abraham. And for the third time, Abraham says, here am I. And was he weeping at the time? Did it get caught in his throat? Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know you fear God, for you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And we have not even reached the climax, have we? The central point, the reason for the story. Abraham lifted up his eyes and he looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. What a lucky coincidence. Wow. Do you know that that means there was a ram caught in the thicket before Abraham even obeyed? Before he even got to the place God had provided. It's no wonder he calls the place the Lord will provide. Here is this ram that dies so that Isaac can live. The ram dies so that Isaac can live. Because Isaac can live The promise can live. The ram instead of Isaac. The ram instead of Israel. The ram instead of you. It's actually, I mean, the Lord will provide is is an accurate way of reading the words, but also your, your ESV will tell you, or you read it, the Lord sees. The Lord sees. Even when he says, Father, what about the ram? What about the lamb for the offering? And he says, the Lord will provide. He says, the Lord sees. The Lord sees. And so the whole nation took up the, the idiom on the mountain of the Lord. He sees. He will provide. How the Israelites would have heard this message and been reminded of their own great deliverance. They would remember the Passover lamb. A lamb instead of their firstborn sons. A lamb that dies so that their sons could live. A lamb that dies so that they could be delivered. And the story would be reiterated over and over through the years and the centuries and the millennia. And when the tabernacle is established and the temple is established, every day, twice a day, a lamb is sacrificed. A lamb for their sins instead of them. A lamb dies so that they can live. 
And we read it and we hear it and we think of John 3.16. God so loved the world that He gave His Son. His one and only Son whom He loved. And Mount Moriah is the very mountain where the temple will be built. It's the very mountain where outside of those city gates another young man, another son, would carry the wood for his execution up a mountain, bearing the very medium of his death on his own back. With one screaming, silent difference. Because when Isaac is about to be sacrificed as a burnt offering. A burnt offering is an offering for your sins. Isaac is about to be sacrificed as a burnt offering for the sins of his father. There is the cry from heaven, Don't touch the boy! And when his own son is hanging on the cross, there is no cry from heaven. His son in our place. This son dies so that Isaac would not have to. This lamb is sacrificed so that you and I could live. Behold, as John the Baptist says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Coming back to verse 15, God reiterates again the same promises that He's been making all along. He simply restates them. This time he swears by himself. It's the 35th time God has spoken to Abraham. It's the last one we read about. He swears by himself. It's the formula that the prophets throughout Israel, throughout their history, would use to assure Israel that God, what God is saying is absolute. Whether warning or blessing, the Lord swears by Himself. The Lord promised to make Abraham's seed as numerous as the dust of the earth, as numerous as the stars of the heavens. This time He adds the sands of the seashore. God has promised Abraham that in Him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And now He says, your offspring, by the way, seed, is the good translation for offspring throughout Genesis. Your seed will possess the gate of his enemies. And seed, even in Hebrew, is just like seed in English. Sometimes seed is plural. You cast the seed, you spread the seed, you plant the seed. But sometimes seed is singular. You planted a seed. And here is a singular pronoun. Your seed shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Jesus, the son of Abraham, the son of David, the son of God.
And sometimes, like Abraham, it's easy to wonder, does God see? Does God care? Romans 8, which was the other place I thought about preaching from. So intentionally using the, almost the very same language. If God is for us, who could be against us? He, he who did not spare His own Son. His Son. His only Son whom He loved. How will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? It is important for all of you to know that you are not Abraham in this passage. Is it true that your walk of faith is full of mountains and valleys and that God is calling you to simply trust him? That even when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you do not need to fear because he is with you. He is for you. Of course, we are like Abraham in that way. And it is true that we are called on each one of us to love God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. That is absolutely true. But that calling isn't a calling of do better and try harder. That is a calling of trust me. You can trust me. But when you make this passage into a passage about figuring out what it is that you love too much before God figures it out and takes it from you, you miss out on how much God is for you. You're not Abraham. You're Isaac. You're Isaac on the altar. You deserve the death. You deserve the knife. And the ram has been sacrificed in your place. Lift up your eyes and see God's provision. God has provided a lamb. Let's pray. Jesus, you are our only hope in life and in death. If this hope we have in you is only for this world, Paul is right, we should be pitied. Jesus, you are Ilona's only hope in life and in death. Thank you, Father, that you are for us, that you are with us, that you see and you provide. In Jesus' name, amen.